Girls, ladies and gents, welcome to another episode of Clutch Conversations. It's your boy Mike back at you one more again on a Thursday evening. Thank you for everybody for coming out to the show tonight. Really looking forward to tonight's episode. Uh, first and foremost, I want to give a few quick shout outs. So shout out to Takara. Thank you for controlling the comments. Appreciate you, wifey. And shout out to all the folks that are in the chat. Thank you for all the early papers that came out. Want to give y'all a real quick shout out. So what's good, Eric? Thanks for coming out, bruh. Zach, bruh, thanks for coming out, fam. PCF, thanks for coming out. Chris, what's good, bro? Thanks for coming out. Y'all make sure y'all check us out later this month. We got Chris and Levi on the show. Snakes for the memories. Thanks for coming out, fam. Tammy, what's good? Thanks for coming out. Blakers, what's good? Thanks for coming out. Provada, thanks for coming out. Thank you for everybody coming out in the chat, showing support. Speaking of support, make sure you're supporting US Art and US Art Florida. The link for both organizations is in the description of this video. We got one more pers person just popped up. What's good, Dom? Thanks for coming out. Thank you for coming out. So tonight on the show, we got Austin from Royal Highness Python. So we're going to bring him to the show. What's good, bro? What's up, everybody? How you guys doing? How good, you doing, good, man. Good, good, man. Good to have you. Good to have you. Yeah. Me and Mike met at Tinley. The great guy. I was happy to be on the show. I had to do it. So blessed to be here. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. I appreciate you coming out, bro. Like, it was all love at the show, man. It was good. Good vibes. Yeah. All the way down to Culver's, bro. <laughs> yeah. We saw each other at Culver's after. My first, that was my, my second time there. It's a pretty good place. We don't have that here. Okay, word. That was actually my first time. Like, we don't have those here either. Oh, shit. So, yeah. That was my first time. It was good. Yeah, it was good. It was yeah. Good. Got a chance to grow out. Yeah, that was real good, bro. <laughs> yeah. So, I'll definitely hit up that spot next time I go to Tilly, bro. So, next year, oh, yeah. I'm going to definitely hit that spot up again. That's a spot now. And it's right, it's right around the way, too. Literally, across the street. Heck, yeah. Heck, yeah. Yeah, I see you smoking on a fatty. Hey, yep. Backwards. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Hey, so uh, real quick, I know everybody know know you. So tell everybody a little bit about yourself personally, like outside of the reptiles. Outside of reptiles? Yeah. yeah. Jeez, I never asked that question. So, uh, yeah, I grew up in Toronto, Canada, and then I recently moved to like a suburb next to Toronto. And well, it wasn't recently, probably about seven years ago. And that's when I first started working for mutation creation and getting to the snakes. But before that, I got, I was just a high school kid before I got into the snakes. I used to play soccer. Uh, I almost, like, I went pretty far in it, but I gave it up for girls and for jobs. And then snakes got in the way. And then snakes <laughs> have been my life ever since, pretty much. So how did you get into the snakes? Like, what uh, drew you into it? Oh, when I was a kid, I remember, like, kindergarten. Some kid brought, like, a corn snake for show and tell. And then ever since then, I was asking my mom for a snake, my dad. And then they just were not about it. So it took a couple of years. And then uh, they finally bought me a hamster. So it wasn't a snake. It was more like snake food. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that, for sure. Yeah, that lasted for a while. And then when I was like 16, I just went out and bought a snake. Actually, I, I think I was 15. But I bought my first snake. It was a uh, ball python. But then I actually got out of the ball pythons, went into retics and boas. Read that for a little bit. Oh, nice. I didn't yeah, I was into the super dwarfs and the dwarf retics. 
because the, the mainlands are illegal where I, where I was. And, uh, yeah, but it was a lot of fun, uh, a lot of close calls, a lot of nice fights from the retics. And then after a while, I just got straight into the ball pythons, sold all the retakes, kept a couple of boas, then eventually got out of the boas and just went straight into ball pythons. Okay, so what drew you back into the ball pythons? Oh, I just saw, like, when I first got in, everything was, like, really expensive. Like, for me, at least. I was a high school kid, and 300 bucks was expensive for me, and that's, like, what a spider was going for. So I definitely couldn't afford the more. So I got into the boas, and I worked my way up, made some money in there. And the retakes. I sold those to get initially into some ball pythons to some trades. And I just seen like where the hobby was, was and like where it was going and like how many more people, how much more positive it was. So my first looked in the ball pythons, everyone was saying it was hard. There was not a lot of information about it. But then slowly like a lot more came out. Like especially like 2015, 2016, I seen a lot of people putting a lot of information out. That pushed me a lot to get into it more. And that's when I really like to dive deep into it. So who were you uh, looking at then back in 2015, 2016? Who were you learning from? Uh, I was looking at a lot of Brian Barshek back in the day. He had some really good videos, some good information for beginners. Uh, I was watching Juggernaut Reptiles. Okay. He got some really quick. He wasn't always ball pythons because he did some like uh, short tails and some and goldens and other stuff. But he had a lot of good ball python videos. I used to watch Gary Meyer a lot, but that was more for like learning the morphs. But I learned most of my breeding stuff. Probably from Brian Barshek. Okay, okay. So thinking back to like those early days, like you got any uh, good stories uh, share about those early days and some stuff you went through? Uh, not, not good stories. A lot of like uh, a lot of mistakes were made. I, I lost a lot of clutches. Yeah, I, so tell us about some of that. Oh my god! I had a, my first incubator was pretty bad. It was like a makeshift wine cooler, and my first clutch went bad ever, and it was just a horrible experience. Almost made me like not want to breed the ball pythons again. But luckily enough, I had two clutches that year, and the second clutch actually made a full term because I got a better incubator. Oh, and nice! I hatched, hatched my first bell, my first clutch, and it was like, a great experience. And then uh, I lost a couple of snakes in the past without closing bins all the way, feeding, uh, putting, maybe leaving a snake that was too big in a bin that was a little too small for it. And it pushed its way out. Then I lost. I once I had my whole hatching rack, about like 45 snakes, all came out because one bigger snake got out, pushed them all out, and I was looking for hatchlings all around my bedroom at the time. Oh wow! Yeah, and I I even had one where I sold a snake, and that day the snake got out, and I was I had to go call my neighbor over to help me, and me and him looked for like I think three hours, and then we gave up, and it finally just came out by itself, and it was. It was a really like stressful experience for sure. So, so what kept you pushing though? Because I, uh, I know it's a lot of challenges, especially in the beginning. I mean, it's challenges oh, the whole time, I'm, but definitely in the beginning. I'm, I'm just the type of person when there's challenges, like it doesn't scare me. I like to like go at it, even if I fail a couple of times. I know like I'll get it right if I keep trying. You know. Gotcha, gotcha. And so, at what point uh, did you say, "Hey, I'm gonna do this as a business"? I was saying that before I even really got into it, but once, like, probably, like, three or four years ago is when I'm, like, you know what, I'm really going to gear everything towards this. Like, my collection was already getting, it wasn't at a beginner level anymore, it was more intermediate, and then I was seeing where, especially when I started seeing what Billy was doing and the moves he was making, it was a lot easier for me to go and make similar moves, 
and like take those steps because I see it worked for him, and it was kind of giving me that reassurance to like go and put more into it. Okay, okay. So how did your uh, collection start off? Like it was more of a like like single jean codoms and stuff like that. A lot like, of what did that first? Cinnamon, <laughs> Mojaves, Lessers, Spiders. Like it was horrible at first. Like, like. It wasn't horrible. I liked them. I was just trying to make bells at first. That was my like main thing. Maybe some like really nice pastel stuff, pastel and cheese stuff. But I wasn't really thinking for the future back then. I was just looking at what I liked, what was cool at the time. And then I started buying some heads that weren't heads off, like Kijiji, which is our Craigslist. And that really like shaped me up into gear and for like learning where to buy, go to reputable breeders, ask for pictures. Don't just go and believe everything you see, right? I really got bit hard and really bad. Like I was buying snakes that had genes that were not in the snakes, so it made me learn real quickly. So you was buying a bunch of hits that weren't really hits? Yeah, even, and then I, I made one really big mistake. It was when Banana was crashing in like, I think it was like 2016, 20, maybe even earlier, 2015. Uh, I had like a couple of pied, proven breeder pied females. And, like, I saw the market crashing hard. Like, with a lot of the prices were coming down. Banana was, like, 10000 And then the same year, it went to, like, 300 or 400 bucks. And that was scaring me a lot. And I was like, maybe I should get out. And I, I sold two Cooper Breeder Pied females for $350 each. Oh, man. So that's one of the biggest mistakes I ever made in the hobby. Like, <laughs> And that actually pushed me harder. Because, like, after that happened to me, I'm like, I'm never going to do something like this again. I have to recover. And, like, after recovering... Like I just had that drive to keep going after, you know? So what was kind of like, hold on a second. What was kind of like an inflection point, like, early on that kind of, like, changed your trajectory? Was it, like, getting involved with Billy or was it something different? Even before getting involved with Billy, I was just noticing how, like, I was producing the same snakes a lot of other people were. And I was making my, and, like, there were a lot of lower-end stuff, like, below three, $400. Like, those things sell, but when you have competition with everyone, it's going to be harder to sell. So that's when I started, like, you know what, I have to go pick a lane to go into. I chose, like, the pied at first, and then I started getting into the clown, and I kind of left the pied aside and just went heavy into the clown because that's where Billy was just starting to get into. He had a lot of pie stuff. And the clown, the Justin was just, I think Justin just had the leopard clown around that time. He just made it, and it was, like, it blew up. And right at, just before he made the Batman, I like, made the decision, I'm like, clown's the way to go, and I'm so glad I did. Gotcha. Is Clown your favorite recessive? No, Ultramel is. Ultramel is your favorite recessive? So what yeah. recessives are you working with? Clown, Ultramel, Pot? What else? Uh, the heaviest, like, from, like, the heaviest hitters to the lowest, I have, like, Clown, then Ultramel, Pied, Enhancer, which is, like, Desert Ghost, a little bit different, though. And then I got some Rainbow and then some Dreamsicle stuff, like, both stuff. Okay, okay. And so um, I assume, and so you're gonna be doing like a lot of doubles and triples. You gonna ever get into the quads and stuff? Uh, I actually have some quad uh, breeder females, and I actually had like a. I just talked about this on my last podcast. I'm gonna make a video about it so you guys can see the pictures. But I did a pairing of a pastel quad head female. She's quad head for VPI, hypo, rainbow, and pied, and then I paired her to an Enchi quad head male, and I had five eggs. I hit one pastel, enchi, hypo, rainbow pied, and it didn't make it out of the egg. 
and then I hit an Enchi uh, VPI Rainbow Snow that looked hypo as well, and it was Enchi, and it had a huge ringer on the tail, so it looked at Pied, but didn't make it as well. Damn. So I got so everything that was visual Rainbow in the clutch didn't make it. I don't know if it was because they were, they were siblings, two parents, so it might be inbreeding because I haven't seen a lot of Rainbow stuff. A lot of other people I know, uh, Big D. Uh, he's in Canada. He had a rainbow clutch, and he had similar things happen where the clutch didn't make it after, and it's the only clutch he had. They were thriving at first and just didn't make it. Same thing happened with me. They looked really good in the egg, and then one day it came out. Both of them were just out of the egg, umbilical still attached. They both looked fine, so I think it might be weak genetics. I might have to outbreed and then breed back. Do you think it's like those genetics for those particular animals, or do you think it has something to do with the actual gene? I think it might, because I have Rainbow's been out for a long time. Like, I know some people are producing them successfully. You got uh, uh, Dave Palumbo. He's been making some crazy hurricane uh, rainbow stuff with the hypo as well. But I just haven't had good luck. And some other people I know who have, like, similar genetics haven't had good luck. So it might just be the inbreeding on our side, especially because a lot of the stuff, I don't know of how well it was outbred, because inbreeding doesn't really affect all pythons initially. But if you continually inbreed down the line, you will get issues with like shark mouth and maybe even deformities and stuff like this. So, so like, how many generations deep should you go? Like, like two, uh, three, four. So the dad of the of the quad heads is already an inbred snake. So it was a it's a pastel enchi hypo rainbow. So it's probably a double head to double head or siblings. And I think that might play a factor because I'm already breeding weaker genetics. And I bred, that was bred to a VPI pied. And then those quad head siblings are now being bred together. So I've seen it with some other stuff where multiple inbreeding will give kinks, like a deform, like almost like a spider. You'll get like wobbles and stuff. And like sometimes they just won't make it out of the egg. So that's, that's what I'm chalking this up to. I might be wrong, but that's just what it looks like right now. And I've talked to a few other people who think it's the same thing. Gotcha. Cause I put a um a uh orange dream black pastel inchy fire clown to a super inchy uh lesser hypo female. And so like she dropped like we was at Tinley, as a matter of fact. And so those oh, eggs should be they should be pipping like any day now. Uh day fifty seven will be like Monday, this Monday coming. And so I'm hoping like I get like some really good odds. Everything either gonna be super inchy or black pastel, and then obviously everything is uh double head hypo clown. And I'm hoping yeah. I get like good sex odds too. But I'll probably hold a male back, you know what I'm saying? Like the most powerful male, and hopefully it's like an all gene, like um, or at least something close to it. Obviously, you we don't want to go lesser to lesser or black pastel to black pastel, yeah. but um I'm hoping to get like good odds and like a good distribution of the genetics. Cause at some point I may put like a brother and a sister back together. And so I'm wondering if there might be any issues with that. What you thought about that? that? With that, I don't see issues. It's when like, <coughs> if you breed like a brother and sister together and then you might breed like one of those babies back, that's when I see like issues start arising where you're getting like, you're not getting as many like eggs in the clutch and you're getting some babies or some, some eggs just not making a full term and incubated. So I've only noticed it with like two to three generations of inbreeding. One generation seems to be fine. I've heard some people do up to four with nothing wrong, but I've seen people do three and I've done myself three and I've seen a little bit of issues. And with the quad heads, it might just be that the rainbow gene itself is a little bit more weak as well. 
because it hasn't been like outbred as much like out of the wild. But that's just what I'm chalking it up to right now. I, breeding brother to sister usually doesn't have an issue. Okay. So, as long as you okay. don't have like generations in the past that produce. Okay. Yeah. Do you see like any other uh, breed practices that consistently produce issues? Uh, overbreeding a male, you'll get a lot of slugs. That's probably the only other one. Other than that, there's really none. And overfeeding a female. I noticed if you overfeed a female, especially when she's closer to like, like ovulating, she reabsorbs. She reabsorbs? Okay. All right. Yeah, because yeah, I had uh, actually had two girls give me like, uh, like one girl completely slugged out. Um, it wasn't like a super powerful clutch, but still she completely slugged out. And then I had another one, which I was really anticipating this clutch. So it was like an entry red stripe Batman to super pastel butter DG. And she basically sucked out. She gave me one good egg. So that one good egg is an incubator. And I'm hoping that's like an all gender female. Uh, but hopefully, um, but I was a little surprised because like before then, like, I might have had one or two bad ads, but then like I had two girls um, slug fairly close to each other. Like I was talking to a guy and he was saying that it was probably the male's fault because if the female produced slugs, then she's gone through everything biologically that she needs to go to go through um, to produce the eggs. And it's something on the male, like maybe uh, maybe it was too warm for him. And so when he was breeding, like at that time, it would have been like the summertime. It was too warm for him. It might have like killed his sperm. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, if you do overheat the males, you can get a lower sperm count, or even overbreeding them too, because they can only really replenish so much, right? So if you're doing like nine, ten females, and you're not really spreading out the pairing, your male will run out towards the end. So that's why it's better to people say four to five females. Sometimes you can stretch it if you have a, like an ultrasound and you know when to hit it. But if you don't have that, keeping it to like six females max for a bigger male is ideal because he won't run out of sperm and you'll have consistent larger clutches because we notice with smaller males especially first time males if we run them to like three females the first two clutches are good sometimes even the second clutch is not too good but the last clutch is always a lot of slugs or it's just not that many eggs okay so this male it was his first year breed he's about 700 grams or so so mm-hmm. i don't know if that had anything to do with it uh, he, he was a quick locker. Does yeah. He he a quick locker. Like he go right in. Like he gets straight to work. Like he don't waste no time, bro. Like I I put him in there. Thirty minutes later, he locked up, looking like yeah. <laughs> and like he gets straight to work. And so um, he actually already locked up with two girls for like this coming season or whatever. So yeah, we gonna we gonna see. Um, but yeah, it was. I thought it was interesting that I had like in terms of like good eggs to bad eggs ratio like it was all good at the beginning but then right at the end of the season i started having like some issues like with more slugs than what i was accustomed to seeing and so i wonder if it has something to do with like it just getting hotter and maybe i need to adjust temps or something like that And so i think what i'm gonna try next year because i'm really in like that that testing phase and i probably always be somewhat in the testing phase like some things i might get a better handle on and do it the same way year over year but I'm still like yeah. trying to feel my way around with a lot of stuff. So I think I'm going to start keeping my males a little bit cooler just to make myself feel better and see if that works too. Yeah, a lot of people like to keep the males like 89, 90 in the hot spot and keep the females like 92, 94. So 
two degrees cooler definitely won't hurt them from eating or anything, and it could save their sperm count. So that's yeah. a good move. Like oh yeah, I, so, like, like Billy, like he, we keep our snakes here in like a different rack. We still have like uh, our males in a different rack than our females, so we have our own male rack. But we do have like a it's like a medium sized freedom breeder rack. I forgot what the in sizes, but we do have some males in those racks. Those racks, I think they're running a little cooler than the actual female racks on the other side, because running them a little hotter, obviously. Okay, and you breed you breed all year round too, right? Yeah, so basically every three weeks, or actually every two weeks for ultrasounding. But we so we have the system where if a female has follicles over eleven millimeters, she's getting a yellow clip on her, and that's when we start pairing. So we we check the yellow clip ones every two weeks. And then the next two weeks, we check the ones that have no yellow clips. So we know which ones are now getting into the getting into the breeding ready, getting their season ready. And then we start pairing them. And then now we're cycling out females. So when a female lays, she now goes to the other side. And we wait about four months after they lay to re-ultrasound. All right, so question for you. So do y'all always, like without fail, wait till the female gets to about 11 millimeters or more? Or do y'all, because yeah. I know I talk to some folks and they say like, they feel like a jump-off pair and, like, stimulates follicle growth. What do you think about that? Like, I've done that in the past. Like, that's how I used to work before the ultrasound. Like, I would pair no matter what just to, like, stimulate that. I do believe that, like, copulation does stimulate follicle growth. But I don't find it necessary to because I do find that most of the females get up to 11 and when their time's ready. So if they're not there, it doesn't hurt just waiting for them to get there. Use your mail. You get to use your male properly. So for other females, you're not wasting sperm. That so makes it's sense. It's more beneficial for me that way. Gotcha. Gotcha. And you leave your males in for like a week? Yeah, about a week. Sometimes longer if they're still locked, like nine, ten days. I've tried in the past leaving like two weeks. I had really good success with it. It's just now I don't have that many. I have way more females than I did back then. And I'm stretching my males out a lot longer. So I'm doing about a week max now. But at least like three to four days. So I imagine that like that affects the number of females you can put them to because I imagine they lock like multiple times like during that week to two week span. Um, do you only like res do you reserve that for like males that you're not putting as many females to? Uh, some if I have like one male, I'll go for like two females. I will leave them in there longer just to like see what it goes. Especially if it's like a female that I really want to get her going, like I want a nice big clutch from her. I'll leave the male in a little bit longer. But if it's just like, if I want like an 8 egg clutch in this male, like I need them, if there's like equal amount of females that have the same potential, I'm just going to spread them equally out. Okay. Yeah, because I, I was wondering about that. So like what I do right now is like, I wait, wait for them to lock, and then I wait for them to unlock. And as soon as I see that they're unlocked, I take them out. Like that's what I've been doing. Um, do you feel like you have more success when you leave them in there longer? Uh, I do, and um, I first heard this from Billy. Some people in Europe were trying that. They were leaving the, they were breeding ball pythons more like you do boas. And with boas, you leave the male in for like two, three months, and you feed them. You can pull them out to feed, or you leave them, feed them like, together. But some people are actually leaving one male with one female for two, three months, and they're getting follicles growing faster and larger clutches apparently. So I kind of believe it's true. So that's why I do it this way. And I have seen better success with it, so definitely something to try if you haven't already. Okay, yeah. So um, speaking of boas and speaking of messing up, like at the beginning, so when we first start like acquiring snakes, 
I wanted to breed like bulls. I wanted to breed carpet pythons. I wanted to breed ball pythons. But as I started learning more, I realized I needed to pump the brakes on a lot. And so we pumped the brakes on the bulls. We pumped the brakes on the carpet pythons. And we like really focused on uh, ball pythons. But with the bulls, one of the things that I didn't realize like right out the gate is that you can't like spread a male around like you can spread around a ball python male, right? Yeah. And so um, that's one of the things that like really like caught me by surprise. Um, like as I was acquiring snakes, and then I kind of like learned that as I was going, I was like, oh, oh, I, I didn't know that. And yeah, that's have, so. Have you ever tried to breed boas, or you just you just own them oh, a few no, times? I, I did breed boas before, so I had two litters. Oh, you did breed them. My first litter was really bad. I think I had like seventeen stillborns. I had a couple of slugs, and then I had five that made it, and the second clutch I had twenty-one that made it. So, a lot yeah, twenty-one that made it. Yeah, so it was a lot better, nice. and yeah, I wholesaled most of them because they were just like. So, what did you jump. change up between the two uh, pairings? Did you change up anything, and you, or did you uh, just happen to have better luck? I, I think it was I left the male in longer because the first I was pairing them and I was pulling the male out, leaving him for a week after he ate, and putting him back in. This time I was feeding them together, so I had just better success that way. Gotcha. Yeah, I don't know if we're gonna breed bulls. Uh, right now, we just we just keep them as pets. Yeah, they're pretty but, cool um, though. I here's a it, so from what I've seen and, and what I've read and what I've heard, it seems a lot more challenging than breeding uh, ball pythons, and so that's one of the reasons I kind of pump the brakes. It's like let's just focus on ball pythons right now. Get uh, decent at that and then start adding on as necessary I heard some people say that some people say it's easier I found it a little bit harder myself but I think I just didn't have enough resources and knowledge around me as like the ball python right now there's infinite knowledge you, everyone has like their own little like way of doing it and like everyone like has their own way that works for them right so like, one way that works for me is not going to always work for you especially because we're in different climates we have different like atmosphere pressure and stuff right so yeah whatever, whatever works for you works for you and i know a lot of people especially like when i was breeding like back in like 2014 2015 a lot of information was kept like hush no one wanted to like help each other like especially like in ball pythons as well but the boas it was like a lot of people were being like there's a lot of sh like, shady stuff like the, there was that princess diamond boa that like jeremy stone brought in like there's a whole sketchiness around that like there's a whole lot of sketchy stuff happening in the hobby. I felt with bullets at the time, and no one was really saying, like, telling the truth and like how they bred. And without that, like, you have a lot of people guessing, and when people guess, of course, not a lot of people are going to get it right. So it does seem harder at first. Ball pythons now seem easy to breed. A lot of people are getting into it first year. They're having successful clutches. So I'm pretty sure the bullets might be like that in the future when a lot more knowledge is spread and shared. So. Yeah, I feel like like maybe I'm not plugged in with like the right folks, but I feel like it's way more ball python knowledge out there, way more like oh, yeah. resources uh, to tap into for ball pythons than it is for bulls. Yeah, it's the biggest thing in the hobby, right? So. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Like this is it's like not even close, bro. Not even close. Um, I actually wouldn't mind getting a few bull folks on the show. I just gotta, I just gotta get on the grind and and, and find yep. some folks. <laughs> All right, so you you spoke about your projects like early in the day and how you kind of came in with like some of the lower end stuff and you made some mistakes. So talk about like where you are now with your projects, every, what you're focusing on, like future goals and like where you see yourself in the future. 
Uh, right now I'm working a lot. Like I made a lot of triple and quad heads this year. And I made some visual double heads. We're making some visual triple heads right now. I'm working like really gearing towards double recessive projects. I have like a whole a bunch of dream school project going on right now. Ultra Mel Clown, I'm going to have a bunch of that going on. And I'm really trying to focus on the double recesses and then gear towards moving into the triples. So like right now I'm doing, I just made some triple Ultra Mel Clown Pied stuff that I held back. And then but I'm already working Ultra Mel Pied and I'm, I'm making visuals and I'm going to be making visual Ultra Mel Clowns this year. So I'm going to hold some of those back, breed those together in the future so I can make visual double heads. And then like I want my projects to piece together in the future. So it's like a big puzzle right now. We need to have all the pieces so that the big picture comes together. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure, for sure. What uh, code arms you working in the Ultra Clown project, or uh, any of them for that matter? With Ultra Mel, Cy- Cypress is like one of the main focuses. Mm. A spot nose, yellow belly. I have going into it. Um, Mojave, uh, Enchi, a lot of other stuff too. I just don't want to give it like mahogany. A lot of uh, some other cool stuff too. So I don't want to give all of it away. Okay, okay, we'll let you keep some of it under wraps. We'll let you keep some of it under wraps. Yeah, but yeah, I, I really love like a, a lot of the dark stuff with Ultramel. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's going to hit hard. And I feel like Ultramel, say again? The purples come through then. Oh, like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And I feel like people sleeping on a lot of the Ultramel projects. Like, a lot of people in it, but it's not getting like the love that like a, a DG clown project or something like that's getting. I feel like folks sleeping on Ultramel and what you can do with Ultramel. And I yeah. also feel like folks sleeping on Hypo too. Like it's a lot of like Hypo is dope, bro. Like I really love Hypo. Like I'm I'm a I'm, I'm a Hypo guy, like to the core, bro. And um yeah, I, think- I, I really love Hypo. I feel like they're sleeping on it. No, Hypo is amazing. Like even by itself, there's a lot of stuff that hasn't been done yet. That's gonna blow people, like just knock people out, cause like even the GHI lesser for the GHI Mojave hypos, that was something that just blew me away. If you haven't seen one of those, definitely go and search it up. They're like purple, and it's, it's just amazing. And then when you add a, like, if you add a hypo into like clown, it makes it that much better. It makes the colors pop, brings in a lot of those purples and oranges. And same thing when you bring it into the Ultramel. So in like the future, I'm working towards the Ultramel hypo clown. I want to get combos of that because it's the nice purples that are going to come through. Ultima already brings it, but the hypo just makes it that much better. So it's yeah. Like, it's good by itself, but it's a great addition to, like, any other recessive. Oh, hell yeah, hell yeah. So what about, like, high-end codoms? Like, do you advise folks, like, jumping into high-end codoms? Do you advise them kind of sitting on the sideline for a while? What your thought process is on that? I think it really depends on where you are. So... Like, if you have, like, a really good foundation, especially, like, around a recessive that works well with that codom. So, like, if you wanted to go and jump into, like, red, not red stripe, redhead. So, like, redhead's really hot right now. It looks really good inside the clown project. If you have a really good foundation of clowns, a nice spread across the board of females, maybe even some, like, other uh, recessive head for clowns, and you go pick up, like, a redhead clown and drop, isn't it, like, they're pretty expensive right now. They're over five thousand. So if you go and buy one of those, if you have that collection, it'd be worth it. But if you're just gonna go and buy it, and you have a bunch of Mojaves, pastels, and cinnamons and stuff, I wouldn't advise it. It could definitely take you to the potential. You make a lot of nice heads, but you're not gonna be using it to its full potential. Where like if you had all those clowns, you could be making groundbreaking combos with that new gene in it. And that's what like that's basically what Justin does. Justin goes and takes new gene, 
He has already the greatest foundation, and he's just plugging it into stuff, seeing what works with it, seeing what doesn't, and then he'll hold it back, wait till it's an adult, and show you a baby, and that's when he's selling them. He already has the adult, so he already has. He's a mastermind of this. So like, if you have the foundation, you can do so much with the new gene. If not, I say go and build your foundation first, then go and look for the new gene, the next new gene at that time. So what's your thought on like the hottest coat arms out right now? Like the best, the best coat arm to invest in um, for your collection? For, for my personal collection? Mm -hmm. I think it would be redhead because I'm really clown heavy. Uh, I have like other double recessive clown projects I'm, I could work it into like groundbreaking stuff. So that'd be something good for me. But if you're not in the clown heavy, I would like if you were in Pied or something else. Like I don't know what's too crazy in Pied right now. I haven't seen anything. The Hurricane Pies look really cool, so maybe go in that direction, or maybe some. There's a lot of other ways to take it, but I definitely know like even inside the clown. Like if you if you're on Cypress already, go pick up a really nice Cypress clown. Read some Spano stuff if you have that ready there. That's something I just did. I picked up some Cypress stuff, breeding it to the Ultramel Clown Project, getting it in there in the mix. So. It's always better to get into the double recessive project if you can, but if, if it's not on the budget or you don't really have the snakes for it, work the recesses and like don't just go buy that next codom and put it straight to codoms because it doesn't have a long lifetime. You want to go get the longevities inside the recessives, doubles, and then of course the triples and quads because that's long. It's gonna take you a lot longer to get there. You're in a niche, not a lot of people are gonna be in there. Not even a lot of people are able to get there. And whatever you release, you have a higher price point because even make those quad recesses you're gonna have to have two double recesses or even triples but just to have those you have to you have to at least spend a lot of money or be really lucky so you can ask an astronomical price for quad heads like you already see justin he's gets quad heads for like twelve thousand stuff like <laughs> you can ask those prices because no one else can make those unless they really have those high-end ingredients true that's indeed why I think, that's why i think the longevity is in the long game I and mean, even holding them back even though it's like a one at 256 odds to hit some of the combos you want to hit. If you don't work towards it, it's never going to happen. So, like, I think the longevity is definitely getting into the long game, taking those new new codoms, putting them into recesses, and then ha making that puzzle with your collection where everything's going to piece together one day and you're working towards those triples, those three recesses, or a quad with those four recesses you're working with. So, we're working like all the doubles and triples and quad projects you're working right now. Like, collection maturity wise like where are you at are you buying a lot of animals still or are you just uh primarily producing what you need i'm always buying animals like like if I, there's an opportunity to get something that's going to better my collection and i can do it i'm always going to jump at it it's, it's, it's always going to be beneficial for you if you can go bigger if you have the time the energy and the drive to go and like get your collection even bigger or even just upgrade your collection, get that grind to go make more money and just upgrade what you have, I say definitely go and do it. It's going to put you in a better environment. It's going to it's gonna make your collection mature way faster as well. It'll set you to new heights and your dream will come true a lot faster. Nice. Yeah, thing. for sure. For sure. So uh, in terms of like large investments, do you think it makes more sense to invest more in your males or your females? Me personally, I think it's males because you can kind of like spread that investment around, but I'm interested to hear your thoughts. So I definitely, I think it's the males always. I have two different ways to look at it. 
So, like, the way I did it, so I told you I had a lot of pastels, cinnamon, Mojave, like, Bell Complex stuff. I went and bought, I spent, like, $3,000 on a Proven Breeder Enchi Blade Pound from Billy at the time when 2016 and 20, I think 2016 I bought it from him. And then I bred that to all those, and I made a bunch of heads, held those back, sold what I didn't want. And, like, spending that $3,000 breeding it to, like, three or $400 snakes, I was able to make heads that were, like, seven, eight, and sometimes even up to $1,000, holding those back, selling others. I made good money. It was, I was able to reinvest into recessive females, and then it really grew my collection when my whole back head females were up to size, and I had more money from, like, what I sold. I invested in a higher-end mail, and then it just blossomed to what it is now, right? But there's another way to do it. So, like, if you're just starting out right now, the best thing to do, I'd say, is to go buy recessive females and combo head females. Don't even buy a male for at least a year because if you buy a male now, it's going to depreciate over time. Like, you already know morphs every year. They go down a little bit. So if you buy that male now and you have no females ready for it, you're sitting there wasting your money. You just right. take that money, put it into another female, wait, sit on it, feed them for a year. When they're up to, like, 800 to 1,000 grams, go and buy that male. And now you get the best bang for your buck. If you saved up for that whole year that you're awaiting, you have more money to play with now as well. So you're getting yourself into a better situation. Instead of buying just a combo like clown for all the clowns and heads you bought, you can go buy like <clears throat> a combo ultramo clown. And now you're taking not just making clown combos, you're making clown head ultramo combos. And those things can sell for a lot more and a lot quicker because there's less competition in it. So when you do stuff like that, it definitely sets you apart, sets you in the right direction, gets the balls rolling properly from the beginning, and it's the best way to make a return on your investment, right? Word. So um, speaking of, like, pushing your projects forward, are you doing um, any uh, joint projects and stuff like that or breeder loans? And what's some of your advice on the do's and don'ts of breeder loans if, you, uh, if you're doing any of those? Yeah, so I do breeding loans with uh, Lord of Lions. And I also do them with Billy. And the best thing I'd say is have like have like a set thing before, like set rules of what's gonna happen. Like basically, the way we do it is whoever has the most expensive snake, it's first pick, and then it's second pick, third pick, and you just keep switching between the two of you. But if sometimes it doesn't always go well, you get bad odds, and that's when you have to be mature enough to go and say, you know what? Instead of me just taking the first pick and the third pick, the first pick is good enough. You can take the second and the third to make up because the rest of the clutch wasn't too good. You have to, being fair and like taking your ego out of it is probably the best thing I can tell you because a lot of people have this thing where they, I hear so many horror stories. They get into breeding loans with their friends and they're not friends anymore because someone's being greedy. You know, someone's being too nice. They're not putting their foot down. They're not going back. Like, you can't let someone walk over you. And you can't just walk over someone else. You got to like, respect each other, have mutual agreements, stick to that mutual agreement. You know what? Tell each other if things do go sour, like we only have one egg, what? And we end up selling it, we'll split the money, stuff like that. There's always other options. You don't have to like break a friendship or get sour over it. You can always find a way around it. Maybe even contact a larger breeder if you're having issues. Tell them what's going on. And there's always a way to resolve it. You don't have to like just take your egos out of it and just be nice to the next person because karma is a true thing right so for sure for sure yeah you can't be in here trying to mess people over so when y'all do y'all breed loans do y'all like kind of do it on a handshake or do y'all have it written out uh handshake it's just we don't even we don't even talk about it we just know we've done it so many times and so long together we know what the deal already so when things like that happen where 
you know what, like, I already have three of these, like, or me and Billy just had one where we bred, like, my female is, is nothing compared to his male, his male is, like, a Enchi, OD, Fire, Lesser, Hypo Clown, and mine's a double-head female. I had, we had two clutches with two of my double-head females, and we hit two of the exact same thing as the male. We had a 1.1. He took the female. He gave me the male, even though he had first pick on the next clutch. He's like, you already have one, too, but he's like, you could sell this. I'll take this. This is worth about the same amount. This is good for you. You can generate some cash to go somewhere else. So, like, doing that with someone, it's amazing when you like, when you have that friendship and that, like, just respect yeah. for each other where you can go and say, you know what? This works better for you. I can deal with these. Here you go. That's, like, when, you know what, like, the respect that you even gain for that person after, it's amazing. So, like, don't be sour. Just take the ego out of it. Be as fair as you can. And it's like, don't be greedy because too many people are too greedy nowadays. You know, like, people on top of the, like, you're making good money already. Why you have to, why you still got to keep people poor? Like, you know, you're doing your breeding loan with a friend trying to help them. Why are you kicking them? Like, you got to be nice. Yeah, 100%. 100%. So, um, you, Billy, and um, and Laura, y'all all y'all kind of on a different plate, different page with it. So, do you yeah. advise like folks to do paperwork with it, or do it on a handshake? And if you feel like you got to do paperwork, then maybe you shouldn't even be doing it with that person. What's your thoughts on that? I say paperwork works always good, but like me and Billy were originally gonna do paperwork, but we just it worked so well between us that it didn't we didn't end up getting into it and like we just had such a good understanding if you have that understanding with each other i don't see the need for it but it's always good for a backup and both sign a paper you know witness there too just so like you know that everything is good even if you guys like still want to keep it sweet and not rip each other's heads off or a snake or something it's just always better to have that back to fall on but i don't see how many people are going to use it i think a lot of people will be smart with what their decision is and take their ego out of it. Word, word. So y'all got a real good team thing going on. So speak a little bit about like that team dynamic, what makes it so strong um, over in y'all camp and kind of how that developed over time. We just, we're just very like, we're different, but we have like similar personalities. We all like the snakes bring us together really, but we're all like into like similar sports, similar music. And like, we all like, we try to like connect outside the snakes as well, like, especially like me, like Elias, we like work out together sometimes. Like even yesterday, we like, even got we have a new guy working for us. His name's Matt. Even we brought him out to the gym, took him to the sauna after. Just try to like incorporate, build that friendship with him because like when you're working with friends, it's a lot easier. And when you're working with someone who you're clashing with, always it can make you not want to go to work every day, right? So like that's really important for us. And like we try to do like things where like. We have like lunch together every Friday. We have steak, we oh, barbecue. So like that really brings the team together, you know. And stuff like that just helps. It helps with everything, really. So like, when something like even like we get Billy mad all the time, right? So like when he yells at us, <laughs> like, it's not like it's not a boss yelling at us, like like who's like wants to kill us. It's more like a friend yelling at us because we're being a dumb, friend. Right? We, we did something stupid, so like we might have deserved it. <laughs> Yeah, no, Bill, like, he's definitely the boss, but, like, you see him as, like, he's definitely not, like, a boss that you, like, you know, like, oh, this is my fucking boss is walking in right now, I gotta go. Like, Billy's there, he's a cool guy, right? He's, he's, one, of, he's one of us. Like, we're all, like, 
he's definitely above us, but we're still equal. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's a whole, it's a, it's a team dynamic, right? And yeah. Yeah, we all part of the team. We all working together. Um, everybody's helping everybody at the end of the day. Yeah, Billy cool as fuck, man. Like I really enjoyed him when he was on the podcast, and then I I enjoyed like listening to Billy. Like even before that, like I, I learned so much about Billy. Like Billy went on a rant one time um, about just going like balls deep and just like pushing for this, and like that was really like that had me like I'm gonna do this, bro. I'm gonna do this, and so like that's like really when that's one of the uh, times when that was really an inflection point. You know what I'm saying? Like in our journey, right? Just yeah. in terms of like developing that mindset and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah, Billy, dope man, super dope. Yeah, Billy, like I don't think there's anyone who's more passionate than like, Billy. Like, oh. <laughs> he'll, he'll go like forever. He'll he has even if he's tired, the energy just sparks up in him. He'll just go. Like, <laughs> sometimes me, like I just I'm like yo, I gotta go. He's he's still going at it. I'm like wow, <laughs> it's, it's amazing to watch. Like, his energy is definitely contagious. So. When he goes on those rants and he, he he's showing his emotions, like it's it's hard not to like fall into it, you know. So that's yeah. a good characteristic. Yeah, he got some signature rants, and I and I, and I fucking love it, bro. I love it. So obviously, like y'all y'all feed off each other, and y'all y'all learn a lot from each other. But speak specifically specifically to something you've learned from Billy. Like what's what's like one of the most important lessons about this industry? It don't even have to be about this industry. Um. But what's one of the most important lessons you've learned from Billy? Literally, like probably investing, like like just his mindset towards it, and like you just no doubt in it, just go the leap of faith, jump into it, and like even like when to invest, what to invest in, like like he has like a good guideline on what to do for this hobby, like and you like it's if you follow it. It's, pretty like safe like there's, obviously there's always room for like error and things we're dealing with five animals things are out of our control but he really taught me on like how to like you know what you just gotta do this structure go into it go spend your like don't be scared to spend your money because like, like if you like safe money won't make you money like you scared money don't make money yeah that's <laughs> too, like, great. So if you're investing and like, you're scared and you're putting like you're trying to be safe with it you gotta take risks and like I seen Billy like lose. I seen Billy lose before. I've lost before, but I seen Billy win ten times more than he's lost, and I've lost myself. And I've I've won ten times more than I lost. So it, it works for sure. Nothing's gonna be perfect always, but if you go and really like take that leap and like don't don't be scared, just go and do it. Good things can come, right? Obviously, bad things can happen. Murphy's law: what will happen? Like, if bad things can happen, it will happen, right? So yeah, but it's not always bad, especially if you have a positive mindset towards it and just like, just dream big. Right? You just, like, Billy, like, he dreams big. Like this guy, like, one day, I remember the old facility. He's like, I'm going to get a new facility. And within a month, he comes to we're at this place. And I'm like, what the heck? Like, how did this happen? Like that jump, like <laughs> that investment, like, and like what he's done with it. Like, like that is like the thing that I've taken the most from Billy. Like just like really the drive, like he's this work ethic and like that, once he puts his mind to something, there's nothing that will stop him. 100%. 100%. Yeah, man. Yeah. You, you hit the nail on the head, man. You got to be willing to take risks, right? You yeah. got to be willing to take risks. Like, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Shout out to uh, exactly. MJ. 
Literally. So you gotta you gotta be <laughs> you gotta be willing to take the risk. Scared money don't make money. Like you're gonna take some L's, but you're also gonna take some dubs. And exactly. it's it's gonna work out at the end. You just gotta be confident, right? You're gonna you're gonna take it on the chin, you get knocked down seven times, get up eight. Yeah. hundred percent. You don't get back up. Yeah, that that's, that's when you yeah. yeah, that's when that's when you lose. You only lose when you don't get back up. You know what I'm saying? So you, you gotta be willing to go out there. And so, yeah, that's that's definitely uh, something that I've noticed uh, Billy communicate like all the time. And that's just that's definitely that's words of wisdom. You know what I mean? Definitely. He has, so, he, um, has me out here, he has me out here spending money. I don't even have yet. <laughs> Literally, like I'm out here. like, And you're not alone, bro. <laughs> so, like, yeah, like, but like, it, and, and I'm telling you, in the end, it pays off. That's why, like, I even. Like people from his Patreon, I hear stories of like people who like took loans and stuff, and like they're making amazing money now. They already paid off their loan, or they're already like working, like almost paid it off. I'm like, holy cow! These people, like success stories like that, make me really happy. So like that's why I urge people to do as much research as they can and take the leap. Because if you don't have, only time you're not going to be ready for the leap is when you don't know what you're doing. So do the research, study for like days, weeks, months. And then maybe even a trial. Like a lot of people do the trial clutch. They go lower end. Once you got that nerves out of your system, take just go as deep as you can go. Beautiful things will come from it. Yeah. So when we first started, we started with like lower end animals, and our first few clutches has been lower end animals. Like next year is really when we're gonna get into like some of our higher end clutches, or at least uh, relatively speaking. But um. I kind of wish we would have jumped in with like some some higher end stuff. Like I have learned things a, a, along the way, but I, I wish we'd have started out a little bit higher on the on, on the higher end side. But the advice that I got like initially was like start out with like lower end stuff and then work your way up. Um, I feel like I should have started out probably like a, a level or two ahead of where I started. But I mean, you live and you learn. You know what I'm saying? Like I've learned a lot. You know what I'm saying from when we first started, because we haven't been doing it this long, like only since 2020. But I feel like I've learned a lot over that time period. And I feel like if I look back three years from now and we continue to do it, I will have learned even more. And it's just, it's all a constant growth process, right? And you just got to keep pushing forward. But at the end of the day, you got to be willing to take risks and you got to be willing to go for what you want. And so like, I think that's like a huge important takeaway uh, for anybody out there, anybody, I mean, not just in ball pythons, that's anything, that's a life lesson, you know what I'm saying? And yeah. it's especially true, uh, it's especially true here too, for sure. You gotta go out there and get it. Yeah, if, you, if you're waiting until tomorrow, you know what, the next day you're gonna say the same thing, you're gonna be tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Yeah. You don't just do it today, and just get it done with, take that, you're scared, it's good to be scared, you know? Sometimes that, you need that fear to drive you, don't let that fear push you in the corner you gotta get up keep fighting tell the tell, stand up for yourself you know have that confidence yeah it's a difference between being scared and being aware of the risk right them two that's two different things scared is like that's an emotion right you're scared um and you just you're cowering that's how i see that but like being aware of the risk and realizing the risk is out there that means you're thinking about it logistically you analyzing what's out there and then the next step in that thought process should be how can i mitigate that risk and what can i do you know what i'm saying to make that better right and so it's the difference between acknowledging it right and just cowering 
And you, you can't be out there uh, scared and cowering. You got to go out there and get it. And a good way to overcome However that, that will look for you. Yeah. Say a good again? way to overcome that is with, like, a, a list. Go write a list and, like, really break down, like, if you want to become, like, a top ball Python breeder, go and break down every single step you have to go through. And then maybe even break it down one more and slowly climb that ladder. Because if you try to jump over stuff and you miss out a lot of lessons, things are going to come harder for you. You're not, it's going to take you longer to get up. You're going to get tired of jumping. You're going to have, you might even fall down a couple of steps. So if you take baby steps to anything in life, it's definitely going to make things a lot more easier, less stressful. And in the long run, you'll get there a lot faster. A hundred percent. Those incremental yeah. changes, they compound over the long run. Exactly. It's easier to learn that way rather than cramming stuff in your brain and trying all these new things. It's going to get stressful and it's easier to give up that way. Yeah, yeah, that make that make perfect sense. Perfect, perfect sense, bro. And so, like, when you're selling your animals, um, kind of switching subjects a little bit. So, like, what platforms are you using? You using just Morph Market? You doing shows? You doing a little bit of everything? What you doing to to move your animals? Sorry, <coughs> I just had a cough at that. <coughs> to move my animals? Yeah. Like, in what sense? Sorry. I, I totally look like coughing cut. I couldn't hear anything. <laughs> and that's like good, good. Yeah. So what, what sense of moving? Like selling them? I'm sorry. I didn't hear you, bro. What sense of moving them? Like selling them? Or like actually moving yeah. them? Yeah. Yeah, like selling them. So mostly I use like uh, here in Canada, we have like Kijiji. It's like Craigslist. I also okay. use Instagram. A lot of people DM me, Facebook as well, and then of course I use uh, Morph Market. But in Canada, it gets colder in the winter, of course, and we can't ship to the states, especially with the holidays around this time of the year. A lot of packages get delayed. It's not like feasible. It's not even smart to go ship with live animals. You don't want anything going wrong with them. So we can't ship from like December or the end of November all the way until like the end of February, early March. So right now, most of my sales are going to be Kijiji and within Canada. It's a little harder to sell here rather than the States, but <coughs> as soon as that winter season's over, a huge list is going to go on Morph Market. I think Morph Market is probably the best tool for selling, especially if you're in the States, because you can list lower-end snakes there. If you're outside the snakes in Canada or even other, like Europe and stuff, if you want to sell outside of where you are, it's better to list snakes over $1,000. It's just easier because... Paying the shipping is not feasible. Shipping and whatnot. Paying like 300 bucks for a $200 snake. It's not worth it. <coughs> so what's the show circuit like in Canada? Like what are the so, big um, shows? We have one, well, there's one big show for us. It's in September. It's called CRBE. But there's also one more on the West Coast. Well, it's more like Central Canada. But they have like their own CRBE as well. And, uh, I believe theirs is inside of the summer or maybe October. I don't know too much about it. I've never been there. It's kind of far from me. Is the CRB, did you say it's the biggest show? Yeah, it's the biggest show we have. It's it's nothing compared to like, you, it's probably like the size of like an average Sunday show for you guys, depending where you are. So, gotcha. And then we have a Sunday, we have a show this Sunday actually, but they're not usually that big. Maybe like, Three, four hundred people come through, five hundred max. Not like more people looking, a lot of pet people, 
you don't get too many like investment ball python breeders. So if you bring like snakes over three thousand dollars, good luck selling them. It's usually like the three to five hundred dollar range you're selling at, and maybe if you're lucky you get a couple thousand dollar sales. But at Kijiji you get better, and of course Morph Market, it's, it's the best for selling high end snakes. Gotcha. So do y'all have like a as far as like breeders in Canada? Do, you, do y'all have like a real tight knit network? Yeah, a lot of us are. Pretty close knit community, a lot of friends. Some people not so much friends, but like <laughs> a lot of people, it's pretty close knit. Like even like with you guys in the states, like especially at Timmy, like people from everywhere, all across the states. You guys are just such close friends with each other. We have that here too, but I think you guys being in the states, you guys are a little bit more connected, especially with how many of you are there. So there's more people to be friends with here. There's not as many breeders. And not like transportation and traveling is a little bit harder than the states is. You guys have flights True. are super cheap here. Flights are expensive, crazy. Just to like go, maybe like an hour and a half flight is like three or four hundred bucks. So it's stupid here. In the states, I like I see flights a hundred bucks. So it's insane. Yeah, so it's a little harder for us to travel. But on Facebook, Instagram, we're all a lot of us are really good friends with each other, and pretty tight knit group. Some True. people are in like really small groups and they go out all the time and stuff, so it's pretty cool. So how long was that drive for you and Jaffe to Tinley? Uh it was like eight hours. Seven and a oh, half. Oh, just eight hours? Oh, that's not bad. Yeah. That's not bad at all. The GPS said like nine and a half, but it was like Oh yeah, but you can Florida and make it. We had a bad we had a bad rental. We had like a two thousand and like two Honda Fit. <laughs> <laughs> it was not nice. So that thing didn't go past like I couldn't even hit ninety on it. It was horrible. So, yeah, yeah, that's dope, bro. Um, and so, what were your thoughts about Tinley? Oh, it was a ama- like crazy show. I seen like I seen people. One person make like three times more than anyone. Everyone at the CRBE made. In a couple of sales, so like I was blown away, like just how much, like just the like, amount of like people came, the amount of sales that were made, the prices of the snakes that sold, like in can, like I've never seen a snake over five thousand or ten thousand sell in Canada show, and I was seeing twenty five thousand dollars snakes sell there. I was it was blowing my mind. Just got to see how much bigger and how much like crazier it is in the states than here, because here it's a drop in the bucket compared to what you guys have. Like, like, it's def- like we're definitely a little jealous of like the hobby there that's for sure yeah it was wild bro like i got there like that friday um but i didn't get there friday during the day so i didn't get this uh go to the actual show uh friday i got there like friday late but i heard like the stories of like some of the animals that were sold like it was like a uh uh inchy uh dg bat i think it was that bob sold yeah. i sold for like a crazy price like it was just yeah like, like people making like like literally making like six figures, bro, on Friday. That's I seen that, yeah. And that's, when I seen that, I was like, "Wow, the hobby is so much bigger than I thought it was." So <laughs> like, there's so much potential. There's so much more like room for like bigger breeders to step in, and there's so many different lanes to go in. So like, just because there's so many big breeders now, don't think that you can't be one of them. Like, I'm not talking about you specifically. Anyone watching, right? So like, you dream big, like anything's possible seeing that really like made me like think holy cow what can i do to like make myself bigger what do i have to invest in next what can i do to take my collections to the next level because just seeing like even like 
people who I, I haven't heard of, what they had for sale, I was blown away. I'm like, I really need to step up my game if I want to be at the top, or like even just be higher up, right? So there's a lot of big players. and that, that really Yeah, it's a lot about. of heavy hitters out there, bro. And, like, being at Tilly, like, I experienced, like, kind of like the same dynamic. Like, it was people who I hadn't even heard of yet that was vending at Tilly, like, with just some straight fire, right? And so for me, like, that's motivation, you know what I'm saying? Like, like. I see this, I like this, I think I can take it here, 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 you know what I'm saying? And just like really like it was motivation, you know what I'm saying? Like just just keep pushing, keep pushing. Yeah. Tinley was a dope, bro. It was a whole vibe. Uh before Tinley, like Daytona was the biggest show that I had been to, but Tinley was just it was just different vibes. Even after like the actual show, like the bar, the hotel, like just like how nice everyone was, how everyone could come together, talk about snakes, talk about other things as well. It was just like it was a really good experience. Like, if you guys, none of you ever been to Timmy, highly advise going. I'd oh, go yeah, to you the, got to, bro. I go to the fall show, but I heard the March show was good as well. I'm actually trying to go there this year, so try to experience that. But it's amazing. Like, I, I'm probably going to try going every single year now. I don't definitely do not want to miss it. See what's out there. Uh, just all the crazy things people bring. It's just, it's just amazing. Yeah, I don't know if I'll make it to the March show. In fact, I highly doubt I'll make it to the March show just kind of like based on schedule and whatnot. But the fall show, I'll definitely be there. Um, I'm looking forward to it, too. I hope to see you there, man. Yeah, yeah, man. We got to link up, bro. We got to go to Culver's, too, for sure. (laughs) We got to eat it up, bro. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure we'll have the munchies. (laughs) We'll get some nice backwards going. Say again. We'll get a backwards going. <laughs> but you don't smoke, do you? Say again. You don't smoke, do you? Occasionally. Occasionally. Yeah, yeah. Next ten is one of those occasions. <laughs> yeah, that'll be one of the occasions. It'll be a special occasion. <laughs> okay, sounds good. <laughs> so talk about your beating process. I know you keep your mails in a, a while and whatnot. But kind of uh, walk us through, like, your breeding process and kind of, like, what it looks like for you from start to finish. So, basically, when a female's at 11 millimeters, I check them around 1,200 grams. So, 1,200 grams is when I'm going to start pairing my female if she's over 11 millimeters. And then, so, I'm continuously feeding once a week. I feed smalls once a week. Uh, Some people feed mediums once a week, mediums every two weeks. I just feel smalls once a week is what works best for me. I'm still getting decent-sized clutches, and a lot of females are going. So far, I'm at, like, 87 clutches or 89 clutches this year out of, like, 125 females, and it's pretty good numbers for me this year. So you and, said 80 to 90? Yeah, I'm, I'm over 85. I'm, I think I'm 87 or 89 right now. I have a few oh, splits wow. I haven't added. Yeah, but like a few splits as well. So, like, that's a big number, and, like, I think that the way I like, I feed – I don't know if it played like a way to, if it dealt with it, but definitely the breeding did. So I still feed weekly breeding. I feed smalls to my females. I feed my males weaned. And when the female is 1200 grams and at 11 millimeters, I'll pair her once every month. And the, the main times you really have to pair, like sometimes if the male's really being stretched out, I'll pair her only at 11 to 13 millimeters once. And I'll pair her between 17 and 22 once. And then between 25 and 30 once. It's usually around 28. And I found those are the three sweet spots where you get a really nice clutch. 
usually around six to eight eggs. And I'm usually breeding smaller females. So sometimes I even have females who start at 1,200 grams. When they lay, they get up to like 1,800 grams because it's like a three or four month process. They gain the weight from breeding when they're still eating. And then uh, they're laying seven or eight egg clutches their first year. So it's still pretty good. And like a lot of people say, wait till there's 1,600 grams or you won't get eggs. Like I just told this in my last podcast I did. But would you rather have one female laying a five to eight egg clutch one year and the next year giving you six to eight. So let's say you got five and you got six, that's 11 eggs. Would you rather go and wait another year and only get seven to eight eggs? So it pushes yeah. you further in your project. I haven't seen any harm to my females. They still grow up to an immense size. Like I had, I have a pastel lesser mahogany vanilla head clown female. I started pairing her actually at 1150 grams. And then she actually laid around 1700. She laid eight eggs. It was a big clutch. She, that was, uh, two years ago. Last year, she she laid uh, seven eggs for me, and she was around 1,900 grams when she laid. This year, she's already at 2,100 grams, and she's only around like 60 millimeters. So she's still growing at a really nice rate, even though I'm pairing them around 1,200 grams. So I haven't noticed anything wrong with that. So like some people, they have said that, and they tried saying, oh, it's not good for the snake. I think that's really just opinion-based. I've noticed nothing. So pairing once a week, once a month for about a week, if you only have four females for the male, starting at 11 millimeters, 1,200 grams, once a month. And if you do have the ultrasound, you want to spread it out 11, around 17, and then around 28 millimeters at the sweet spots that I found for pairing and getting really good locks. And after that, after 30 millimeters, I stop pairing. And then around that time is when they stop eating, and I just let the female sit, change the water, and the male is doing other females at that point. So that's pretty much how I breed. Gotcha. So that's one of the things that I've noticed too, myself personally. Like, I don't necessarily get my biggest clutches from my biggest girls all the time. Like, sometimes it's the smaller girls who I got, I get bigger clutches from, right? And then, like, it's like my larger girls who give me like a smaller clutch. Like, it just kind of really depends, you know what I mean? Or at least it's, that's been my experience so far. So, you say you got like 85 to 90 girls going, averaging about seven to eight eggs a clutch, right? Yeah, like six to eight. Six to eight? Yeah. So, like, so like pushing, like, 600 hatchlings, how many holdbacks are you having, kind of, out of that out of that total number of hatchlings? And yeah, it's, it's, so far, I probably have, like, 85, 90. I might slim that down to, like, 70, 65. But, like, some of the quad head stuff, like, I just need for the future. So, probably going to need more rack space for my females and grow the the females gotcha. larger maybe have to get out of a couple of recessive projects and just really focus on a few double and triples for a while so what's your holdback strategy um right now are you just kind of well, like some clutches i hold back nothing some clutches i hold back everything it really just depends what it is it's usually if i can't buy it like if i like if it's not on the market and it's a project i'm working for in the future i'll probably gonna keep it because I can't buy a male that's better, like especially, or I could, but just astronomical prices, it's not worth it for me at this point. I'd rather put my money in other projects. So, like, I usually just hold back females mostly, and I try to hold back the most powerful females from that clutch. And if I don't already have a male breeder that is more powerful than the male in that clutch, I won't hold back a male. But if it's a powerful male, and they can possibly replace my male, I'll put the, that, the father of the clutch as a backup, 
and the next year he'll be the starting the starting male for that project. Gotcha. That's probably the best way I hold back. But there's sometimes like sometimes I sold stuff that I wish I held back, and I held back stuff I wish I sold. So it's hard to say like <laughs> yeah. any perfect harmony. It's just like it's just finding what you want. Sometimes you're gonna regret it. Sometimes you're gonna be lucky. So. And so where are you trying to top at top out at with with your clutches? Uh, probably like a hundred, a hundred and fifty max. All right, so you, you you you're getting close to the hundred at least. And then yeah, from there, it's just rotating folks out and just upgrading, <laughs> upgrading, upgrading. Yeah, and just really focusing on those triples. And I don't even know. Sometimes I want to go bigger. Sometimes I want to go smaller. Like I think two hundred females would probably be the biggest I would ever go. And there, I probably push like one hundred fifty. 170 clutches anything bigger than that i think is way too much for me because i don't i don't have employees obviously and i already work sinks full time so it's like a it's a lot for me already but I'm yeah i can imagine yeah i'm only at 120 breeder females and i'm not like overwhelmed yet so i think i can go a little bit further so that's what, I'm probably gonna push the collection a little further it could just because quad heads you need the numbers to like to make really get what you want, right? You really want to make an yeah. impact. And even yeah. double recessive stuff, like you can't just have like one or two females for the project. You need at least like five or six, seven or eight. And that's if you just want to be a player. If you really want to be a big dog in that, in that gene, you want to have at least 10, 15, 20, maybe even more. So you really want to see where you want to be. And like that's the best way to gauge how you're going to grow. Absolutely, hundred percent. It's a numbers game at the end of the day. It's it's uh it's good that you mentioned that because that was actually one of the questions I had in terms of like time management and what your routine looked like like for your collection. Would you working like uh all full time with mutation creation and then taking care of your own collection? Like, what does that uh routine look like for you? Uh, a lot easier now than it used to be. Now that my collection's here, it's actually at mutation creation. And, uh, so like I just work my shift and then I'll stay a little bit after or I'll go home, go to the gym. Then after I'll come back, maybe do some work that I didn't complete earlier for Billy. And then I just get to go do my collection. It's a little less stress of having to like rush home and clean at home. And, like home is more of like a rest place now. Definitely gives me less stress, but I usually just clean. We have, I have snakes in the whole back room, the breeder female room and then the hatchling room. So I usually clean each room on a separate day. Saturdays, I usually do all the holdbacks, probably the most snakes that there is. And like, it's all the grow ups as well. So everything, and my males are actually in that room as well. So I'm, I clean all those on Saturday. It's about like, I think like four full ARS racks, like the, the 1060s. And then after that, I clean my females. And then one other day I clean my hatch things, and then I do pair rings another day, and then ultrasounding on an off day. So I'm pretty much working like seven days a week with snakes. And it's like I don't really get a break, but I take vacations. I love what I do, so it's not that taxing on me. It's not as stressful as what it seems. Like I see like my friend Jaffy, Jaffy Exotic, too. Shout out to him. Like he shout out to the homie. He says, yeah, he says I'm crazy because of the amount of snakes I have. Is he wants to keep his collection like really powerful and very small because yeah. the lifestyle he wants to live. Like, 
I'm not going to go tell him, no, you're stupid, you shouldn't do that. That's what he wants to do. Like, he can tell, he can exactly. tell me the exact same thing. I'm stupid, I'm crazy for this. But, like, that's why, like, there's so many, like, different avenues and different ways you can take the hobby, right? You could be, like, jump all the way in, or you can keep one foot in, one foot out. You still want to maintain a full-time job and do this on the side as, like, a hobby or, like, a side business. You could do that, or you just want to do this as a full-time hobby. Like, I still have a full-time job, and I try to do this almost as, like, a full-time business as well. So, like, as long as you have the drive and the energy for it, like, anything's possible, right? Yeah, yeah. As long as you're committed to it, you can do it. 100%, 100%. So, um, kind of given, because a lot of people look up to you in the game, like, everyone, like, is well-documented that you, like, you can ID snakes, like, as soon as, like, you think about putting the scissors to the edge, you can ID it and you can call a combo. So do um kind of like with your stature in the game, do you feel like any added responsibility to like lead or give back to the industry? Yeah, like I, I like to help people like always. Like I think that's just like like part of who I am. But I see other people who are at the top who don't want to do that. So I wouldn't say it's like a moral obligation. I think it just comes down to who you are. Like if you really want to like be that person to help people around you or even people who you're never going to meet someone on Instagram asking you for help or ID or even like, you know, what is this a good investment? Uh, which, which project would you do this? Like giving, like taking a second of your time, but it's, it can add up. Like I don't reply to every single message straight away. Cause you look at my inbox, there's hundreds. And it's like, I'm not telling people not to message me. I, I will get back to you. It's just, sometimes it's overwhelming, but I think I, one I, do person. I do enjoy it. Cause I love seeing when like I help someone and then, they take their collection to the next level off my advice or like an idea to snake for them that they were going to sell as something else and they were going to lose out on it. So, or even the opposite, they were going to sell it as something more and they're going to tarnish their name. So stuff like that. Like I, I, I just enjoy seeing people succeed. That's why I try to go give as much knowledge as I have and tell my experiences. Like if I did this wrong, don't do this because I don't want to see you make the same mistake, get out of the hobby for something stupid, which I could have helped you with. So like, but I do see, like, especially in the past, I feel a lot of the breeders were giving misinformation. So I don't know if being a big breeder does give you that moral obligation. So, gotcha. I don't feel it. So, um, you do you don't have your own personal Patreon, right? Or at least no, not yet. I was. I was you ever thought about to, one? I, I was gonna do it about a year ago. It'd just be more work for me. I'd rather just focus on like, the health of my collection, my breeding. And my sales, it's already a lot of work just doing that and working for Billy as well. So a little too much to wrap my head around, but if I had a little bit less, I probably would. But gotcha. as for now, no. Gotcha. That makes sense. That makes uh, perfect sense. Yeah. So uh, what's your thoughts on the industry and like kind of where the industry is going like over the next few years? Like you got to, uh, are you... You got a bullish outlook or a bearish outlook? Like you think it's going up, you think it's going down? What's your thoughts? I think lower end stuff is gonna like hit rock bottom. I think a lot of morphs are gonna be at that pastel or almost normal price, and it's gonna shock a lot of people because they they like those morphs, they like how they look, but the monetary like the value of it's not there anymore because it's been around for so long. There's already been so much. It's all overused. It's oversaturated the market. And I really think a lot of like niches, like you already see Desert Ghost Clown that went up. Ultramel Clown went up. 
a lot of doubles and triple recesses, they're like holding that price point, right? So I feel like a lot of people who are not going into those doubles and triples, that's why I keep preaching it and telling everyone, get into the doubles, at least the recesses, and then work towards doubles and triples in the future. Because if not, you're going to lose out, and you're going to want people kicking yourself, wondering what's going on, why can't I sell my snakes? Why am I not making money? These people say they're making money. You have to go and jump into those bigger projects. And the future, like, everyone is doing it already. And if you catch the bus, the bus late, you're not going to get a seat. So, Yeah, yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like musical chairs. <laughs> exactly. you got to be quick at it. So, yeah, that's why taking that leap of faith and, like, sometimes even jumping on those new codoms, like you're saying, if you do have the setup, a foundation, you're ready for that leap. If you're not, focus on building that foundation because that foundation is what's going to keep you and your longevity in this hobby. If you don't have that foundation of females, the like, you're, you have the most powerful male, but you're still not going to be making the dent you could be. So that's just, like, go and invest in the higher-end stuff. Stay away from the lower-end stuff. Maybe, like, level up everywhere. That's, that's, that's where I see the ho- everyone's just leveling up. And, like, yeah. hearing what, like, people I've never heard of or people who don't even have a big following, seeing what they're producing, it's scaring me almost. Like, I'm like, you know what? Like, I have to step up. I have to go. I'm not <laughs> doing enough. And I feel like a lot of other people are feeling that, too. So that's going to be pushing a lot of people to hire new heights, right? So if you're not chasing those heights, you're going to be far, falling really far behind in this hobby. So chase the heights yeah. in the hobby. You definitely gotta level up because it's it's leveling up, and I feel like uh like genetic testing and stuff like that is only gonna push it further. Like it, I, I feel the same it, thing too. Like it's gonna kind of like be a squeeze over the over the next few years, especially kind of like as sales of some of like those lower end animals slow down. Like folks gonna really like shift and like really like set their sights on like those higher end things. And so you kind of gotta go where the market going. You know what I'm saying? If you're doing this from a business perspective, if you if you're just doing it from a strictly hobbyist perspective and you have no concerns about sales and and all that kind of stuff then that's a whole different scenario but if you're doing it from a business perspective and like really trying to like uh ratchet up you know what i'm saying your level in the hobby slash industry then you got to kind of be thinking differently right now um especially right now i think now is 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 really important it's kind of like an inflection point for like the next few years going forward at least that's what I'm saying, um, and definitely hearing um, other folks who much more experienced than me in the game talk about. And so that's kind of like my thought process about it right now. Yeah, I think like I think hobbyists are gonna are gonna get a lot from this. It's gonna make a double-edged sword for them though, because they're gonna be able to work with so many different projects that they never thought they could because the price points are gonna be coming down. But also what they're producing, their hobby is gonna cost them a lot more because rap prices are going up. Everything's going up. But they they going up, up, bro. And, and people, like, especially hobbyists or people who are trying to take to the next level on a budget, don't understand that keeping a three hundred dollars snake costs the exact same amount to keep a three thousand dollars snake. So, like, keeping that in mind is a big thing. So, look at your racks. Imagine every spot worth five thousand dollars, and if you have a hundred dollars snake in there, you might want to start leveling that up. So, you know what, you can get that full potential of that rack spot, right? Especially with yeah. people who are working with. Like minimal space. Like I'll bring it back to Jaffe again. That's why he also keeping low. He doesn't want. He doesn't have the biggest space right now. He said even when he does, he doesn't want to get it bigger. But if you're working with a smaller space like that, getting he did great with it. He he invested properly, making 
he's made amazing animals and amazing bro amazing passing rack is, is almost at like it's at really high potential that's that's where you want to be you want to be potential in your female rack and your hatching rack like even for sale stuff but you want other people to see the potential in that and that's what drives them to buy it right so that's what like even when even when you're trying to hit stuff like you're trying to hit those double and triple recessive projects also keep in mind what you miss because that's what's going to be selling so like that's why breeding like a quadet to a quadet's nice but you realize a lot of that's going to be wholesale because yeah. no, no one's going to go buy a quad a possible quad head male <laughs> we'll call it females. You might get it like five, five hundred to a thousand, depending what's in there. If there's marketing, but yeah. other than that, you're, and genetic testing as well, right? But not all genes can be genetic tested, and there's a whole bunch of other stuff at play. So remember what you miss. That's that's I think that's another thing people don't think of. Because you think about holding back, yeah, I'll make this, I'll make this, but that's a one in sixty-eight odds, man. You know, you have to look at everything else that you're actually going to hit, and what's way more. It's like, yo, it's every time you buy a large dick, you expect to win the lottery. No, you're not going to win. You might right, win you're not. Like not little, every time. You, yeah, you might win a little bit. You might lose. You might, like, win half the ticket You might get a dollar. You might get a free ticket. Exactly, <laughs> or you might hit right? me. So, you never know. But a lot of times you lose. So remember that. Like, those big odds. Chase them. But remember what you're missing, too, because that's the most important stuff. That's what's going to be on your morph market. That's what's going to be in those racks. That's what you're feeding every week to go and sell. And sometimes... Holding that back for a year is going to hurt you financially, especially if you're not wholesaling stuff. So that's why wholesale comes into play a lot and learning when to wholesale, what to wholesale, and, again, fixing those pairings to know what you're going to miss and what's going to be for sale, right? A hundred percent, bro. That's, that, those gems right there for sure, for sure. So um, I got a few random questions for you, bro, before I let you get out yeah. of here and enjoy the rest of your night. So, if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? Uh, Portugal. Portugal? Yeah, I'm Portuguese, first of all. So like, that's probably a little biased, but, like, other than that, just a, everything's very cheap there. Uh, people seem to be more happy there, a little more laid-back lifestyle. I think, okay. especially, like, if you live in a city, like, it's more of a rat race. And, like, that can, like, drive you, but it gets tiring after a while. Like, always happens, like... Flat, be flashy or like you know like go and get that drive to make money like you kind of like lose that aspect of like the simple peaceful life right like, like there's a lot of beautiful things in life that get misconstrued with all the commercials and stuff and it's the way of life we live so like getting away from that it would definitely be something nice nice what a ball python game look like in portugal oh there's a couple i see I, i've been slacking so bad on my youtube videos i have to do the I have to do the freaking Timmy video still. I have two videos for Timmy I haven't done yet. It's been like two months. Things have just been crazy here. I've been chasing some dreams, doing some stuff, like making big moves with the collection. And uh, I'm definitely going to get to that. I have a video of uh, my friend, Most Wanted Python. He's in Portugal. Uh, Ricardo, he's a, he's a great guy. He uh, has a crazy collection. And I did not expect to see what I saw there. And there's a couple other really cool breeders I had a, a dinner with. And uh, this is it's not as big as you it's very small compared to even what we have in canada and it's it's the, the market's not there but like the passion for these people and like their projects is definitely there and it's like i definitely would still keep snakes there but i don't think i'd be doing it for like it'd be more of a hobby at that point gotcha gotcha all right yeah. so if you could have dinner with any three people dead or alive who would it be and why 
probably be philosophers, like three different philosophers. Like I'd probably go like Plato, uh, Socrates, and uh, there's so many different people. I'll, I'll step away from the philosophers. I'll probably say like my biggest like idol since I was a kid, probably like Cristiano Ronaldo, like the soccer player, just because like. He's just like a big idol to me and like someone like I always looked up to. Like I wanted to be a soccer player most of my life. And that's somewhere I was gotcha. going towards. But then like obviously like I had other dreams as well and then things got in the way. But like that's someone like I look up to even today. Like someone like who has a drive to always be better and do better and doesn't like like take a break. And that's something like I did in my collection. Or like everything in life, like either the, the gym or like even just like collection, work, ethics and other jobs. And, like, that can take you so much further in life. And just, like, I'm really big on, like, people's mindsets and, like, learning a lot from people and, like, like see, like, what, like, change I can make for myself because you can't really change the world, but you can change yourself. And when you change yourself, it changes the world around you. So little changes in, like, a mindset. I have, like, to have a dinner with someone I can really, like, pick their brain and, like, learn a lot from. That's why I would pick at least those two philosophers. And then the drive from, like, Ronaldo would be just, like, the work ethic and, like, just that push to, like, always, like, it's something Billy has, too, like, to always push yourself. It's something I feed off of, because when Billy pushes himself, it makes me want to kick myself in another gear, right? That's um, dope, bro. Yeah. That's dope. That's dope. Yeah, that's the first time someone said uh, philosopher, so that's real dope. That's an interesting spin, but, yeah, that make a whole lot of sense, bro. And then the drive, yeah, like, so one of my answers when I answered the question <coughs> was Kobe, but it was for, like, those same reasons, yeah. like, that drive, yeah. right? That, just that push yeah. yourself and just get up and go and, and go get what you want, you know what I'm saying, in life? But, yeah, yeah, 100%, 100%, 100%. And another one of my answers was Tupac, but it's kind of on that same vibe as the philosophers because yeah. that was, like, so something like your same reasoning was, did you want to talk to the philosophers with, like, some of the same things, like, I want to talk to Tupac about? So yeah, that's dope, bro. Hundred yeah. percent. He was a philosopher himself, so yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A new age philosopher. Yeah, <laughs> just with his own little spin on it. So, uh, and then the let and another one um is if you won ten million dollars, so U.S. tomorrow, what would you do with it? I'd probably invest like a million into like ball plays on. Oh, nice. <laughs> See, like here, like where we, where I live, houses are expensive compared to you guys. Like we're like across the whole state. Like there's some places where houses are about the same, but like the average house here is over a million dollars for like a small house, like 1,600 square feet. So if you're getting anything bigger in the city, you're looking at like three or four million. So I'd invest in like some smaller. Oh, wow. property. Yeah, like like if you have like a 4,000 square foot house, you're looking at like over 2.53 million. And depending on where the area as well, right? Like some areas, you can have the same size house and it's going for five or six, seven million. So, but there's also like cheaper areas, of course. But like they're like seven, eight hundred thousand, and you're getting nothing really. So I'd buy some property, like a nice house, then some investment properties, nice. and then just like, like residual income. Cause I don't like like not that I don't like to work. It's like I enjoy I I sort of work now so that I don't have to work when I'm older. And like I, I like to retire at like a younger age, like thirty five or something around there, and then just move abroad to Portugal and live off income from other stuff, yeah. right? So that's the, that's the dream. And make that horizontal income from there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, I can just go, I'm making money sweeping, you know. That's that's the beauty. Yeah. A hundred percent. So, what's one question you wish I would have asked you, bro? And how would you have answered it? Oh, that's a good question. 
I want to, I wish you would have asked me who my favorite MC member was. <laughs> <laughs> now you got to spill the beans, bro. Uh, <laughs> probably, probably, just because, like, me and Lord have, like, degree, like, we're, like, almost the same age. So, like, we get along a lot of crazy stuff. Like, we have a lot of similarities. Probably be Lord. But, like, yeah, I say Lord. No, no offense to Billy, though. Billy, you're, you're a close second. I'm letting you know. But it's me and Lord. We were we connect on a different level on a lot of things. So. Nice, nice. <laughs> yeah, that's dope. Yeah, I would definitely have to uh, hit up Lord too. Yeah, we definitely need to uh, get him on the show too. Hundred percent. Definitely, definitely, bro. Well, bro, it's been great tonight, man. I really enjoyed talking with you. I've been looking forward to this. Um, like I say, intently, it was, it was a whole vibe, bro. It was real good kicking it with you. Uh, definitely did nice. us. Even seeing you outside of the show and, and just chilling at Coles for a little bit, like all oh, that was good. And definitely looking forward to seeing you again um, in the near future, bro. Appreciate you coming man. on the show tonight. It's been good, man. Dropping all kinds of gems. So I know folks folks going to learn um, a lot. There's a lot to be learned from you. You definitely, like, you're at the top of your game, bro. A lot of folks look up to you. Uh, a lot of Appreciate folks, like, really respect. Like, when I hear when people, we talk about, like, who's going to be leading the game, like, uh, in the future. Like, your name come up all the time. Like, you're always in the conversation. I don't know about so, that, man. That's an honor, bro. That's an honor, bro. There's some big shoes yeah. to fill. <laughs> big shoes to fill, man. I'll, I'll try my best. I, I, pre- I really appreciate that. That means a lot to me, like, seriously, man. I appreciate being on the show. Like, everybody, subscribe to the channel right now if you're not already. Hit the like button. Go share this. Tell everyone you know. Maybe one, one of you guys will be on here next. You know, Mike's always looking for people. Try your best if you... Make some crazy stuff. I'm sure Mike will come knocking. Hit you up on Instagram. Ask you for a show. So show, go to your full potential. Subscribe to this channel. Subscribe to my channel too if you want. But this one's more important. Subscribe here. And just thanks again, Mike, for having me, man. Yes, sir. I appreciate you, bro. So tell everybody where they can find you online. Okay. So on Instagram at Royal Highness Pythons. And then on YouTube, you search up King Austin. You'll find me. And then I have to do one more plug. And this is for my friend Patrick, Dragon Soul Reptiles. So he's on Snakes in the Fat Man, you know, 50 minutes of lame. Uh, go and vote for him. He, he's a great guy. Like, one of the funniest guys I ever met. Like, like we just hit it off. Crazy guy. You guys, everyone, you, you have to see this guy. He deserves it. Go and vote for him right now. Vote for him every day until now till Christmas. Yes, sir. Go vote for the homie Patrick. We actually got Patrick on the show. We got Pat on the show, uh, December 15th, so two weeks from, from today. Coming up. And yeah, yeah, so it's coming up. And so he's he going he gonna to put in his case for why he should be the lamest person of 2022. <laughs> so y'all yeah, definitely go holler at the homie Pat. <laughs> he's a great guy. Everyone go definitely follow go Pat. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Dragon Soul Reptiles, they go in the chat too saying, let go. <laughs> Yeah, definitely holler at the homie Pat, man. I'm looking forward to uh, kicking it with Pat on the show, too. Yeah, and definitely appreciate the shout-out, bro. Pat, call me today, yo. Pat told me to call him yesterday. I I went to the gym, and then we went to the sauna, and I didn't have my phone in the sauna. It slipped my mind. Pat, call me right now. Like, right after this, call me. I'm going to be feeding, so I have some time to chat. So just give me a call. Sorry about that. <laughs> hey, Pat got everybody putting out a video, bro. Everybody, like oh, I think I, I seen Jay Z put out a video, bro. <laughs> oh, he got connections everywhere. I see right? like Jay Z, Michael Joy. I was like, yeah, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's easy. Yeah, he's a great guy. He deserves it. That's why I'm saying, give, go check him out. 
Mike, you're a great guy too. Everyone hit the subscribe button right now. If you haven't already, the like button once again. Check out next week's podcast. Check out the podcast with Pat. I'm definitely going to check into that. Who do you have next week? Uh, next week, we got Ray from Alluring Serpents. Nice, nice. So everyone check that one out too, man. Yeah, I Head appreciate you, bro. Yeah, anytime. Appreciate you, bro. Again, appreciate you uh, for coming out to show you. Can you hang out for just a second? Um, I'm going to play the outro real quick and let everybody know how much I appreciate y'all. I appreciate y'all coming out um, every single week. Really appreciate the support. Definitely uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you're not already subscribed, hit that like button, comment, subscribe. Hope smash that notification bell. Definitely subscribe to Austin. Follow him everywhere. I'm sure y'all already follow Austin everywhere, but if you're not, Definitely catch up with your game and follow him everywhere. But thank y'all for coming out. Be blessed. Good night. Peace. The outro didn't play, so I'm going to just end it. Peace. (laughs)